Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.50 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is, what, the 27th? God dang, this shit year is going by fast already. 27th of January, 2023. This is episode 663 of Bitcoin and... I would like to direct this to the distinguished members of the panel. You lousy corksuckers. Yeah, that goes out to all the people on Noster that was uh, posting dick pics yesterday. Oh, it was a sausage fest. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, the, the funny thing is, here's the thing, is that I started doing, you know, getting into Noster and looking around and kind of experimenting with it uh, back in, I don't know, on the heels of uh, December of 2022, just right before last Christmas. And, you know, having fun, making friends, you know, the whole, the whole thing. And everything seemed above board in the, what's called the global chat. Uh, that's sort of like, I don't know, I guess global in Fediverse and Noster terms is sort of more akin to your general Twitter timeline, which when I was on Twitter, I never looked at. I only used lists because there's no ads if you use lists, I don't know what it's like now, but, and I could, all the, the people that I would put on my list, that's the only people that I heard from. Yeah, it, it's an echo chamber, a great big bubble, I suppose, but I just got tired of the general feed of Twitter. And global in, uh, in Noster is pretty much kind of like that. It's like everything. You get, you get everything, whether you're, you're getting stuff from Bitcoiners or, people that are talking about politics or people that are talking about non-binary issues or whatever the hell you get it all right. There's no, there's nothing. There's no algorithms. There's no filtering name, nothing. Right. So I use Domus on iOS, by the way. So you'll know where, uh, where I'm coming from when I talk about this, but um, I didn't see any dick pics. I saw no pornography, no nothing until yesterday. And yesterday happened to be the exact day that JB55 resubmitted the Domus app into uh, Apple Store for consideration to for the app to be released in general to the public on the on the Apple Store. And he's been denied a couple of times because of, you know, filtering well, you we don't see how you're going to be able to block people and mute people and and they really wanted people to be able to be reported. And I'm like, reported to who? And turns out it's the relay runners. And we won't get into how the, I'm not going to get into the guts of Noster. Uh, we've got other things to do. But so, you know, JB55 put in all that. He put in block, the ability to block uh, pub keys, otherwise known as accounts. And he put in the ability to report pub keys and report specific 
notes that were broadcast on the Nostra network, you know, to appease the, the Apple gods. And lo and behold, right after he announced that he had submitted to Apple, all of a sudden, I mean, we're talking, I'm not talking one or two guys. I'm talking hundreds, possibly thousands. It got to the point that I couldn't look at global feed anymore. Now, thank God that JB55, before this even occurred, like, I don't know, a while back, uh, basically made it default that if you weren't following a, a particular set of pub keys, then if they posted a picture, it was automatically blurred out. That saved my bacon. But it didn't save me from, oh, I wonder what this picture is before I figured out what that picture was and clicked on it and it was like, oh my God, really? And at first I was like, people are being juvenile. And then I started thinking a little bit more conspiratorially and wondering if it's possible, if it's just possible, that one of two scenarios was playing out. Because this was, we're talking thousands of these. It, like I said, to the point that I couldn't even use global feed. It was, it was impossible to look at it. I had to go look at my followers feed or the people that I follow on Nostr. I went to that feed because they weren't doing shit like that. So that was sort of, it's sort of like your Bitcoin list, right? If you're, if you're keeping one. <coughs> anyway, the two scenarios that I see, and I'm just disregarding the juvenile actions because this is a concerted effort. You know, pub keys were being spun up and then the, all they were doing was posting dick pics. That's it. No, no, nothing else. No, nothing, no nudie women. Nothing. Just guys and their dicks. And honestly, I don't want to see that shit. I just don't. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff that I don't want to see, but I definitely don't want to see that. Not interested. And everybody knows that it... and. This is going to be sexist, right? But there's always more men that jump onto a new technology than women. So you'd think, you'd think, right, that it'd be a bunch of nudie pics of women knowing this, but it wasn't. Right? It, was, it was to be the most vile crap that you, I'm surprised that they didn't go get pictures from searching, you know, Google search for blue, what is it, blue waffle or something like that, which don't do, don't do that. Don't, you'll get sick to your stomach if you do. But I'm surprised that it wasn't that. So the other two scenarios that I see is that Apple Store themselves did it to test out whether or not reports were coming in because people were reporting and then blocks were actually functional on the system. And in global feed on Domus, it wasn't. I blocked five accounts and I could still, even after I closed the app and reopened the app, you would think that it would, because it had to reload. So I was thinking it would reload my preferences, blocks being part of those preferences. No, no, no. And JB55 figured that one out and said, shit, it's not working in global. Blocks are not working in global. I got to fix it. So I wonder, I wonder if it might've been Apple with this vile test, but I don't think so. I think it's more likely that people that have platforms that are going to and are being threatened by Noster did this, like Elon Musk. Do I have proof? No, I don't. So I'm not gonna just come out and point fingers, but like Mark Zuckerberg, all these guys, Instagram, 
because Nostra pretty much can, can, I don't say it will, but it has the potential to take all this shit down because nobody wants to be censored. And if you want to be on a censored platform, those things will still be alive. They're never going to die. And that's fine. You can go over there. But if you just want to be able to speak your mind, you're going to have to migrate over to Fediverse. And even then, there's a shit ton of censorship on there. And we'll have to wait and see what happens to Noster and quote unquote censorship, especially now that reports and blocks at least are live. A block is my choice because I don't get to block people for you. But a relay operator that gets a report, that's a different story. We'll have to see how resilient the Noster network is against human nature. And human nature is to control what you can control, whether that is money or what other people get to see and what other people don't get to see. We'll have to see if how this works, but it was a fun day. <laughs> not, I, it, it was... It, you got to understand, I, it's not like I, not like I want to look at dick pics, but the reactions to what was going on, freaking hilarious. Wouldn't have missed it for the world. Uh, but you know who is going to miss out? Custodia Bank. Because the Federal Reserve has denied Custodia Bank their application to join the Federal Reserve System. Cointelegraph, Derek Anderson has it. What's going on with Custodia the United States Federal Reserve Board has rejected Custodia Bank's application to become a member of the Federal Reserve System because it's a great big club and you ain't in it. In its announcement, the Fed stated that the application was, quote, inconsistent with the required factors under the law, end quote. It also claimed Custodia had an insufficient management framework and cited an earlier joint declaration by the Fed with the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, or FDIC, and Office of the Comptroller of the Currency that found crypto assets to be at odds with sound banking practices. Yeah, well, 99% of the crypto sphere is complete fraud. Bitcoin is outside of that. But even if, of course, the Fed is scared. They don't want anybody taking their shit. And right now, they're, I guarantee you, they're sitting cozy thinking that it's never going to be able to happen. And that's exactly when shit happens. Anyway, in spite of the rejection, the bank's application for a master account remains pending, the bank said in a tweet. A so-called master account enables a bank to make international transfers and carry out other important functions. Custodia, headed by Caitlin Long, she's out of Wyoming, applied for the master account back in 2020 and sued the Fed over the long delay in considering the application back in June. The Fed gave the bank 72 hours to withdraw its application, Custodia said in a statement. It added, quote, Custodia actively sought federal regulation going above and beyond all requirements that apply to traditional banks, end quote. The Fed only issued guidelines for granting master accounts in August when it became clear that digital asset banks could have a difficult time receiving an account. Quote, institutions that engage in novel activities and for which authorities are still developing appropriate supervisory and regulatory frameworks would undergo a more extensive review. Eh, 
the Fed said in a statement at the time. BNY Mellon Bank was approved by the Fed to provide crypto custody services back in October, making it the first major United States bank to offer custody of digital assets and traditional investments on the same platform. Custodia Bank was founded in Wyoming in 2020, taking advantage of the crypto-friendly state's 2019 opt-in custody rules, custody rules for blockchain banks. Okay, so BNY Mellon got their shit approved immediately. And here's this little Wyoming bank, you know, that Caitlin Long started. Say what you want about her. She's made some missteps, but I think she's generally got her heart in the right place. Uh, she starts this bank along with a couple of other people but out in Wyoming. No, they don't get their shit. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine why? Is it because they're playing favorites? No, it's not because they're playing favorites. It's because they fully control BNY Mellon because they're part of the club. And the club has rules. See, that's what, that's what, uh, uh, what was the comedian's name? Oh my God, I can't believe it. Nope, that's not fair. Hold on. Yeah, I had to look. Carlin. I know, it's embarrassing that I couldn't remember the name off the top of my head. Only a cup and a half of coffee, guys. Give me a break. George Carlin. It's a big club and you ain't in it. But what he never mentioned was the rules inside the club itself. If you're part of this club, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, you're lucky to be a part of the club. No, you're not. Because you step out of line and they will execute your ass. And I'm possibly physically. I, I kind of doubtful because they have excommunicate. How do we say it? excommunicative powers like the Catholic Church has. And if you get cut off, you will die. I mean, a financial death is just as bad. But if BNY steps out of line with what the Federal Reserve wants them to do, you can kiss their charter goodbye. And they will be gone. And that's why they never break the rules of the club. Be that as it may, eh, we got to move on. Uh, let's see here. Clover, uh, point of sale giant Clover, teams up with Strike to bring Bitcoin's Lightning Network to millions of merchants. Bitcoin Magazine, who's writing it? None other than BTC Casey. Strike CEO Jack Mallers has taken to Twitter to announce that Strike is now an integrated partner with payments giant Fiserv, which is parent company of Clover. Subsequently, Strike has launched a pilot integration with Clover, allowing merchants to accept Bitcoin over the Lightning Network. According to his announcement, <coughs> the integration is not limited to Strike. Instead, merchants will be able to accept Lightning payments from any source. Quote, from Cash App to a node over Tor, if it can make a Lightning payment, you can use it, Mallers stated on Twitter. Mallers clarified that this rollout is part of a 90-day trial period, which will involve measuring the speed and cost of facilitating transactions using the new integration. In addition to that, the amount of business that integrating Lightning brings to merchants will be closely monitored. After the pilot, Strike aims to enter the Clover App Store and afterwards direct integration into Clover itself. This would enable Lightning by default for all Clover merchants, putting it right next to card networks like Visa and MasterCard, quote, ultimately, these payment giants want to see lightning in action. They want to feel it, touch it, and see people use it. An open, instant, cheap, inclusive, and innovative payment network seems too good to be true. Time to show lightning is the world's most superior payments rail in, quote, 
Maller said on Twitter. The trial period is now active and Clover merchants can reach out to Strike in order to enable cheaper, faster payments using the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Okay, that part is a bad, that's bad. The trial period is active, but Clover merchants apparently need to actually reach out to Strike in order to enable the said cheaper, faster payments. That's a user experience nightmare. Guess what? Guess what? Merchants, not some of them will, okay? But it's not like if you just activated all the merchants all at once. When you make them have to pick up a phone or write an email or get onto their website and do anything, anything at all, they're going to be way less likely to do it. Why? Because they got other shit to do. They're merchants. They're selling stuff. You know, like Tahini's up in Canada. They're busy making food. You know, the, the, the owners are busy managing the business. It, it's, this, no, no, no. Now, I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I hope that BTC Casey got it wrong. And it is not the case that Clover Merchants actually have to physically or, or spend time doing something to get this shit active. Instead, it would be better for the merchants to receive an email that said, hey, if you want to, you can do it. Go to your Clover thing and here's how. You much, much better intake. I guarantee it because the user experience, there's not a high bar of resistance. You, set, you need to set those, those resistance levels way low. And from what BTC Casey is telling me, that didn't occur. And another thing that I'm going to talk about before we leave this one is this. Hold on, coffee time. I'm getting real sick of like statements like this. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, go back up here. Do, 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 Hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, yeah. From Cash App to a node over Tor. If it can make a lightning payment, you can use it. Mallers stated on Twitter. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. I didn't hear the statement. Why? Because I'm banned from Twitter. Lifetime ban. Well, I could probably get back on, but at one point or another, I'll make a misstep and they'll connect, you know, whatever new account that I have to all the shit that's been banned. And I've had five accounts banned off of Twitter. My point is, I think it would behoove people like Jack Mallers to take the time to get somebody on his team to act, be active on other places, places where, you know, all of us, the damned and the band have been sent to. We're like in this weird purgatory waiting for, I don't know, some kind of righteous thing to happen to us. Noster, I think, is is going to lift us out of the pit of despair, but not that I'm, re okay, I'm not really in despair. I'm just saying it, it's almost as if with all this stuff going on on Twitter, with the... Obviously, Elon Musk is not at all concerned with continuing the policies of Twitter. For fuck's sake, he bent the knee already. I mean, he's not even one year into his quote-unquote free speech CEO-ship, and he's bent the knee to India by banning any talk. For this, And this is what I hear, 
I've read news stories about it, so I can only presume that they're roughly correct, has will not allow on Twitter anything about the movie that shows president or prime minister Modi or whatever he is in a bad light. He's already bent the knee. People are still getting kicked off of Twitter. Still, to this day. The only people that he's letting back on are people that can, you know, that are famous. You know, like Snowden got back on. You know, they lifted the ban on Trump, but Trump's under contractual agreement with that whatever, I can't remember, truth.social, that he can't actually use any other thing until like 12 hours after he's already used uh, truth.social. Yeah, this is this whole walled garden model is burning down. And the one person that I trusted to be able to figure that shit out is like Jack Mallers. And yet he's non-existent anywhere else. He's only on Twitter, which almost is like insulting. Now, I love Jack. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm just giving him a little bit of shit here because these other platforms are going to be important. And the quicker you stake your namespace on these platforms, the easier it is to you know propagate your message there as well. I'm not saying that he should get off of Twitter. I'm just saying, with, and it's not just Jack. It's like a whole shit ton of people. It's like every news story that you see, if they have anything at all about social media, all they're posting is like the embeds for a tweet, a Facebook post, an Instagram post. It's the, the mainstream social media. They will, you will never see a mainstream news story that doesn't embed from something like, you know, Mastodon or the rest of the Fediverse. And you sure as shit ain't going to see a note pop up in mainstream media as an embed from Noster. So we're like, it's almost like we're, we're castaways. Man overboard, and they're not, not even throwing a life vest to us. I'm just saying, that's sort of the, you know, the, I don't know, beginning of the show rant. But, you know, I don't want to carry on. We, we've got Argo blockchain here. Apparently, they've been accused of misleading investors in a class action lawsuit. Oh, more lawsuits. Luke Hugslut is writing this one for Cointelegraph. Investors of crypto mining firm Argo blockchain have indeed filed a class action lawsuit accusing the miner of making untrue statements and omitting key information during its initial public offering in 2021. A newly filed lawsuit on January the 26th is aimed at Argo and several of its executives and board members. It claims the firm failed to disclose how susceptible it was to capital constraints, electricity costs, and network difficulties. Yeah, well, honestly, that really wasn't that difficult to see if you have been around the space very long, but I'm going to give it to these guys because they probably are just retail investors. Anyway, quote, the offering documents were negligently prepared and as a result contained untrue statements of material fact or omitted to state other facts necessary to make the statements made not be misleading, the lawsuit read. As a result, the investors claimed the business was less sustainable than they had been led to believe, which led to an overstatement of the miners' financial prospects. The complaint noted, quote, had the investors known the truth, you can't handle the truth, they would not have purchased or otherwise acquired said securities or would not have purchased or otherwise acquired them 
at the inflated prices that were paid, end quote. Welcome to Bitcoin, motherfuckers. Argo released the information in question on September 23rd, 2021, when the firm filed documents with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission relating to its IPO. 7.5 million shares were issued to the public, retail, on the same date at an offering price of 15 bucks a share, resulting in proceeds of $105 million before expenses. Since then, the minor share price has taken a beating <laughs> and is currently trading at $2 per share after falling, uh, falling as low as 36 cents. Trades like a shit coin, y'all. Cointelegraph uh, requested comment from Argo, but did not immediately receive a response. Yeah, they're probably a little busy. The recent lawsuit comes just days after Argo regained compliance with NASDAQ's listing rule, <laughs> which requires a company to maintain a minimum closing bid price of $1 for 10 consecutive trading days. Argo has had to make some difficult decisions to weather the ongoing bear market and tough conditions facing crypto miners. On December 28th of 2022, it announced that it would sell its flagship mining facility, Helios, to digital asset investment manager Galaxy Digital for $65 million. Crypto miners in general had a torrid year in 2022 with high electricity prices, falling crypto prices, and increased mining difficulty all eating into their bottom line. Yeah, that's Bitcoin miners. That's who increased mining difficulty. The rest of proof of work, what's left of it? No. No, you spell Bitcoin wrong. And honestly, it pisses me off all the time. Bitcoin miners in general had a torrid year, okay? Because Bitcoin prices decreased while mining difficulty increased. That's how that sentence should read, but I'm not an editor out there. Bitcoin Magazine, the five lessons I learned from ignoring Bitcoin for years. Before we get into this one, shall we do Boostergrams? Why, I think we shall. This from episode 662 at Obex. 12,345 sets. That's one, two, three, four, five. As we say in Australia, which I think is Australia, with the deepest love and respect, you're a smart, sick cunt. Now, I'm going to pause right there to say I think that that's what it says because it's a your A and then there's what seems to be an emoji for glasses and then it says heart, sick, cunt, heart. I guess it means smart, sick, cunt. Thank you. Appreciate that. Keep smashing it, Davy boy. P.S. I lost my cat t-shirts in a fishing accident. Stay sexy. Thank you, Obex. I appreciate it, man. Uh, I love that note. That's a cool note. That's a really cool note. Uh, 10,000 sats from CA underscore Danner. Hope you heard Texas Slim. Shout out to you on Swan's Cafe Bitcoin recently when he was the second half guest about the beef initiative. Uh, CA, I didn't hear it until you mentioned it. I read this note yesterday and I was like, oh shit, I didn't know uh, my friend Slim was on. So I did listen to it, but only because you pointed it out to me Thank you for doing that. And I heard the shout out and it was really, really cool. Um, I always, always thank Texas Slim for, you know, searching me out on Twitter back in the day before the Beef Initiative. We got to be friends in Canyon, Texas. Um, have a lot of respect for this guy. 
And uh, I hope, I wish him well in everything that he does. I'm going to try my damnedest to spin shit up out here in Eastern Washington, you know, Oregon and Western uh, Idaho uh, to compliment what's going on with beef initiative. So, but we'll have to see, we'll have to see how it goes. I've got some hooks in the water, but these guys are busy. They're ranchers. How can you not be busy if you're a rancher and it's winter? It's a little bit of a tough time for these guys. Anyway, Bubba, 10,000 Satoshis. When do they start taxing our asshole gases and what food do they create to stop said release? He's talking about flatulence. Uh, I don't know. But Fatoshi has 7,780 sats on the line. Says, I'll always remember you for the phrase industrial grade shitcoin. Now I can add zombie coin to the list. Looking forward to zombie meme coin NFT pumpamentals. Did you catch Bitcoin uncensored? How about Mike in space? Let's talk Bitcoin. The good old days when villains wore black and Bitcoiners wore cat t-shirts. Welcome to the mountain. Obex replies to that one says cat t-shirts are a psyop. <laughs> Bubba with another 2000 sat says, I ain't misspelling. It's bouncing down the road at the wheel. Boosting can be dangerous. I hear that, Bubba. You stay safe. Boost me later. Don't get killed. Stay alive for me, brother. Bit happens 1331 with 1331 sat says, Joke, why was the math book sad? Hmm, why was the math book sad? Because it has so many problems. Yeah, see, a little bit of little bit of mid-show humor here. Freedom is the way of all sentience. Even the AI needs a pat on the back. I don't know, man. Maybe I dig him a hole and bury his ass. But anyway, Nick underscore Doe says, with a 1,069 sats, another great show. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you for that, Nick. Elf Dub 7255 sat says, don't need to read my other boost. I missed when you answered said 37 in the article. Bad guess on my end. Don't drive and boost, folks. Yes, another person. Guys, seriously. Don't, don't, I mean, you. if you want to boost me, there's a boost button, but you ain't got to write shit, all right? And honestly, arrive alive. Don't even boost me. If you forget to boost me later when you get home safely or wherever it is you're going, fine. I'd rather you be alive than have your Satoshis and your death in my wallet. Okay. So just, I'm just saying, uh, yeah, he said not to read his, to, to disregard his other, uh, post, but that other, uh, boostergram was for 252 Satoshis. Just saying now the five lessons that I learned from ignoring Bitcoin for years. This one from Constantin Rabin, Bitcoin magazine. It's an opinion piece, and that's okay. I am one of those who was fortunate enough to find out about Bitcoin more than a decade before it gained mainstream attention. Sadly, I am also one of the morons who saw this opportunity, didn't think too much of it at first, and then let it fly by. In this little story, I'd like to share the path that led me to pass on investing in Bitcoin three different times before eventually giving in and becoming a hodler. So, Here are the key lessons that I learned along this journey that are worth sharing with anyone who is still doubting BTC. The Inception. 
Given that I started my first full-time job in an online brokerage back in 2011, it should come as no surprise that I had a bunch of colleagues who were really into trading and super passionate about everything related to investments, technology, and the progress of the financial world. It wasn't long before I made a friend named Edgar. We share some interests, predominantly gaming and our long-standing nicotine addictions. Even though we worked in different departments and rarely had to collaborate for our jobs, we would still ping each other whenever it was time to head out for a smoke uh, to smoke a ciggy, gleefully chatting about life, the universe, and everything else as we dosed on nicotine and fresh air. One day, sometime during 2011, I popped through one of these smoke messages to Edgar when I noticed that his Skype status was some sort of gibberish that looked like a cat had been walking over his keyboard. It looks something like this, 1-B-V-B-M-S-E-Y-S-T-T-F-N-5-A-U-4, it's an address. During our smoke session, I asked him, was it a cat or did your account get hacked? He denied both of these possibilities and then went into a long and complicated explanation about Bitcoin addresses and blockchains. Edgar passionately explained that the whole Bitcoin thing and what it was all about and his excitement instantly got me extremely interested in the topic. Being in the investment industry, I was well aware of many online scams and fake dubious products such as eGold that seemed, at least on the surface level, to be similar. But the more he told me about it, the more Bitcoin seemed like it might be much more than just some fly-by-night scheme. At the very least, it was worth a gamble. My biggest problem was that 2012 was probably my worst year on record when it came to financial health. And while 3,700,000 public keys already existed on the Bitcoin network by then, I certainly didn't have the spare cash to go gambling on some new and unproven technology promising to, quote, revolutionize the way we do money. To put it bluntly, I was so poor, so poor, in fact, that by the last week of each month, my grocery store visits would come down to a choice between buying food or killing the hunger pangs with a pack of cigs. So I came to the conclusion that while eating meat was considered a luxury, gambling on the future of digitized tokens was not within the scope of logical spending. Back then, Bitcoin was trading for under $10. The doubt. Fast forward to 2015. Having gotten a few good years of work under my belt, I was an experienced employee that had moved up to head marketing strategy and execution for one of the most prominent fintech startups in Europe. The workplace was great. Most of my colleagues were hardcore software developers who worked ceaselessly on retrieving people's financial data from banks without asking for banks' permission. As if to enforce the kind of work being done, there was even a good old Jolly Roger flying in the office. As you can imagine, many of my colleagues were huge fans of Bitcoin and everything that it stood for. Since I'd grown quite a lot professionally, the numbers that indicated uh, my salary had also been a, seen a substantial addition. I was finally able to buy cigarettes and food at the same time while even having a chunk of money that could be set aside for a rainy day. Working in this world, I knew more than most that just keeping your money in the bank is not the way to go and I started thinking of investing my extra capital as I had no real plan for spending it. My colleagues would fling the term Bitcoin around the office quite often, but I was still skeptical as to whether it would be a solid investment. At the time, Bitcoin was trading at around $250, having just crashed from its all-time high of around 1000 
I approached it with my well-trained investment brain and concluded that Bitcoin SZX most likely never going to recover and it would keep dwindling until just a few of the most hardened nerds were still clinging to it. I was even looking at the Bitcoin dominance chart and seeing that despite its fall, it still had a massive dominance over the market, which led me to the conclusion that it was the only cryptocurrency that managed to achieve something. And with no competition, it would never manage to grow to something huge. That's an interesting thing to think about, honestly. Without competition, it would never manage to grow to something huge. It's a very interesting way of looking at it. Quote, I need a more stable investment for my savings, said the wise investor in my mind. So I bought $7,500 in gold bullion. Having kept an eye on the continual rise of gold since the economic crisis of 2008, it struck me as one of the most stable investments possible. Then the rejection. Jumped to 2018 when everyone was absolutely crazy about crypto. Besides Bitcoin, a lot of other cryptocurrencies emerged and the initial coin offering boom was in full swing, with $6.8 billion being raised through ICOs in just the first quarter of 2018 alone. Everyone and their moms were talking about Bitcoin and cryptos. You went for a haircut, you would hear about it at the barbershop. Go on Facebook and you couldn't find a single page or group that wasn't mentioning crypto in some way or another. Hell, even my parents gave me a call and asked me if I had any, telling me that I should get some since they heard it would likely go up. At that point in time, I was already offering some content marketing services on a freelance basis and business was going well as the ICO bros would throw money at nearly any services they were offered as long as they could pay for it in crypto. Even though stablecoins like USDT had already been around for a while, it was quite uncommon for anyone to transact in them. I saw most of my payments coming in the form of BTC, with the rate ranging from $4,000 to $13,000 per Bitcoin at the time. And it was during this time that I acquired my first Bitcoin. But being swept up in the absolute craziness that surrounded the whole crypto space, I decided not to hold any BTC and sold it all through someone that I found via local Bitcoins as fast as I got it. Back then, the daily volatility was huge and I would catch a cab down to the local Bitcoin exchange as soon as the BTC hit my wallet to cash out for the safety of fiat money. The acceptance. The middle of 2018 was a turning point for me career-wise. I quit working full-time for someone else and decided to focus on building my own company. At this time, I was also able to flip one of my projects for a hefty sum, which provided the initial capital to get my new venture started while the funds sitting in my account allowed me to sleep calmly at night as I built the new business and life was good. I already owned some real estate, was making way more money than I could spend and had all the work opportunities I could handle. Things were on the up and up. And then one day it just hit me. Why on earth would I cash out? I have plenty of fiat in the bank and plenty of other investments in the market. How does having an extra $10,000 to my name make any substantial difference to my well-being? I finally came to the conclusion that it wouldn't, but having no Bitcoin could very possibly lead me to becoming poor again. What if fiat turns into monopoly money? After all, I don't really trust the government. And the people who I had met throughout my life who trusted Bitcoin were the ones I actually trusted a heck of a lot more than the people who dealt with fiat. And with this in mind, I started hoarding and hodling onto as much BTC as my finances would allow. My logic was simple. I get paid in BTC. I get to keep it without cashing out ever. 
So what are the lessons that I learned? I'm not angry at myself for not acquiring Bitcoin earlier. Overall, I'm a happy man. And despite the recent crypto winter and events like the FTX crash, I am still very bullish on crypto as a whole. Yikes. But there are a few specific lessons that I took from my journey with BTC that I would like to share with you all now. Lesson one, you're never too small to invest. At the inception stage, I was thinking that it would be so great to spend some thousand dollars to acquire BTC, but I simply didn't have it and I let the opportunity slip. Overall, if you spot the opportunity, take it. You should not invest all of your savings or feel uncomfortable because of your investment, but committing even a fraction of your income should not be too hard. Could I have saved $50 somehow back in 2012 to acquire five BTC? Most likely, yes. But the idea of investing just $50 was a turnoff to me. Lesson two, sacrifices are to be made. I had to dig up some past experiences to compose this story since I wanted to get the dates right. While doing so, I noticed a $100 hotel booking made in early 2012. This was for one night abroad, which was pretty much a tourist trip with my girlfriend. Yes, being broke and spending so much on a hotel is not the wisest decision overall. But hindsight is 2020. Looking back, I could have certainly salvaged the trip and invested in BTC instead. Or I could have simply gone to a cheaper hotel and spent the remainder on buying BTC. There's no use in looking back and feeling bad. But remember that making a sacrifice today could lead to your financial well-being a few years down the line. Lesson three, balance your investment portfolio. Every investment book tells you don't put all of your eggs in one basket. Nothing new here, yet this is something I completely ignored back in 2015. I did have money to invest, and I did have some desire to acquire BTC, but for some reason I decided to go all in on one single commodity. If I had invested even just some 20% of that into BTC, my return would have been substantially higher. Lesson four, don't chase historical prices. One of the reasons I chose to invest in gold instead of BTC is simply because I felt that I was buying gold cheap. I weighed this against the fact that I would have to pay 25 times more for Bitcoin at that point than what I could have paid some three years before. In retrospect, I now know that the price now is the price now. Don't discount an investment today just because it looks expensive when compared to three years ago. Lesson five, become part of the ecosystem. Accepting and holding BTC is considerably easier mentally than purchasing it for fiat. If you offer goods and services, why not let your clients pay in BTC? Just don't make the mistake that I did and cash everything out as soon as you get it. Keep at least a fraction of your balance intact and forget about it for now. This will only drive the adoption rates higher and will work in yours and the whole community's favor in the long run. Again, this one by Constantine Robin has got some, some, some good insights here. Really good insights. The five lessons themselves are important, but him walking us through his thought process of each of the three times that he encountered Bitcoin is, is also very, very important because this is me in a nutshell. I mean, kinda. It's most of us in a nutshell. Very few of us got in on BTC at the very beginning because we had the eyes to see, 
so to speak. But even many of those people either lost it on Mt. Gox or sold it for 80 cents on the dollar, or I mean, not on the dollar, for 80 cents, right? After they bought it for like 18 and thought that they had just, you know, blown the financial doors off of the world and, and were king of the hill, and they weren't. This is a very hard row to hoe, as my dad used to say. And you look down at the, the rest that you got to go and you're like, I just want to walk off the job right now. Don't. If you've got Bitcoin, hold on to it. If you don't have any Bitcoin, you don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. I still can't believe how many people don't get that. You don't have to, you don't have to own a whole Bitcoin. The whole fact that we call, we say 21 million Bitcoin is the cap. That's a completely arbitrary number. Because each Bitcoin holds 100,000 Satoshis. Each Bitcoin could have hold, held 200,000 Satoshis. And there was only going to be, you know, half of 21. What, like 10 and a half uh, million Bitcoin ever. And it would still end up being the ex exact same amount of Satoshis. If you can't buy a whole Bitcoin or for some reason you feel compelled that you should, you're doing it wrong. Buy 10 million Satoshis. Buy 5 million, buy 1 million, buy 100,000, buy 20,000. How much money, do you got a buck in your pocket? You can get Satoshis. And you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Um, let's go ahead and finish this one up. Since I didn't come to you yesterday, I feel compelled to make this a longer show. Tesla reports a $34 million impairment charge on its Bitcoin holdings in the fourth quarter of 2022. This is Decrypt.co, Andrew Abmak, is it, wait, hold on, Asmakov, yeah. In its latest earning report Wednesday, Tesla revealed that it had neither bought nor sold any Bitcoin in the final quarter of 2022. The electric car manufacturer, however, reported a $34 million impairment charge as the value of its Bitcoin holding declined to $184 million from $218 million in the Q3 of 2022. In the world of accounting, an impairment charge is the reduction of an asset's value below its carrying amount or the acquisition cost of the asset. In the context of Tesla's Bitcoin holdings, this means that while the company still holds the, the same amount of BTC on its balance sheet, the market value of the stash has dropped compared to the previous quarter. Bitcoin traded just under $20,000 at the end of September 2022 before falling below 16,000 16, by the end of the year, according to CoinGecko. Tesla joined the ranks of corporations holding the leading cryptocurrency when it revealed a $1.5 billion investment in Bitcoin in February of 2021, with the news pushing the price of BTC to a new record high at the time. Then the firm sold 10% of the Bitcoin holdings in the first quarter of 2021, quote, to prove liquidity of Bitcoin as an alternative to holding cash on a balance sheet, with the next significant sale coming in the second quarter of 2022, when Tesla revealed that it had sold 75% of its Bitcoin holdings. Yeah, 75%. At the time, the company's balance sheet showed sales from digital assets amounting to $936 million, with Musk pointing to uncertainty surrounding COVID lockdowns in China and the need to maximize the company's cash to justify the sale. The sell-off less Tesla 
left Tesla with 10,725 BTC in its portfolio. The company, despite all the turmoil in the markets, continued to hold the stash throughout the second half of 2022. This makes Tesla the fifth largest public company with Bitcoin on its balance sheet. Michael Saylor's MicroStrategy still tops the ranks with 132,500 BTC worth over $3 billion at today's prices. Okay, so Tesla's showing a loss on its stash but hasn't sold the rest of it. I hope he does. I really do. I hope he goes all in Shiba Inu and Dogecoin and the rest of that shit so we can wipe this punk-ass motherfucker off the face of the planet once and for all because he's really just a grifter. I, and I'm a fan of SpaceX, okay? But it's not like he's doing all the jobs at SpaceX. Sure, he started the company. There are other people involved in it now. But Tesla... Yeah, see what happens when when your car gets flooded out. Yeah, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be caught dead in one of those tin can death traps if you paid me. And Powerwall seems to be going nowhere. Their promised new battery technology don't even I I haven't seen anything out of it. I just see them building bigger and bigger things and putting solar panels on it to justify the creation of these monstrosities that he builds. And he's a dick. He is not for free speech. He bought Twitter simply because he was buying a client list. He doesn't give a shit about that platform, which is what pisses me off about people like Jack Mallers only announcing stuff on Twitter. It's amazing. It's just amazing. Guys, get off this platform. It's on fire along with Facebook and Instagram and all the rest of these stupid walled gardens. Get off, get off, get off. And if you're in a city, get out, get out, get out. Let's run the numbers. Everything is taking a beating today. (coughs) West Texas Intermediate down 1.83% to $79.53 a barrel. Brent North Sea not faring much better, 1.19% down, uh, $86.43 a barrel. Natural gas, not so bad, but still down just over 1%, $2.91 per thousand cubic feet. I haven't seen prices this low in five years, guys. Gasoline down 1% to $2.58 a gallon. All the all your shiny metal rocks are having a bad day too. Although Schiff is probably still not concerned because gold has only slipped 0.03 percent, still at uh, nineteen hundred twenty nine dollars and fifty cents. Gold or uh, silver, however, down one point seven three, twenty three dollars and sixty cents an ounce. Platinum is down almost half a point. Uh, copper down over one point. Palladium, however, getting knocked in the nuts three point five six percent to the downside. Ag is mixed. Biggest winner is sugar, 1.69% to the upside. Biggest loser is wheat, which is point, no, biggest loser is soybean, 0.82% to the downside. Dow up 0.23%, S&P up a third. NASDAQ up just over a full point. S&P mini is up a quarter of a point. Real money, however, kind of shaking it off, 23,154 bucks. 
341,000 BTC has changed hands in the last 24 hours. Average transaction value 1.13 BTC, median transaction value 0.015 BTC, about 350 bucks, which is average for what was going on two years ago. <laughs> Block times are really low, nine minutes and zero seconds. We've had 0.08 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 12.88 BTC taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours. And with a 6.94% drop in hash rate, we're at 297.36 exahashes per second. Yesterday, we topped 300 exahashes per second. And by the way, that was a new all-time high. And Doge, oh my God, Doge, your shitcoin indicator is at 8.7 United States pennies. It shouldn't be worth four. And there are 10,000 transactions waiting on six blocks to clear. $446.9 billion is what we got as a Bitcoin market cap. That's three and a half percent of gold's entire market cap. You can get 12.1 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19 million. 274,184.24 of 5,274 and a half of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at $122.3 million, being run over 16,052 nodes, sporting 75,934 payment channels that we know about, and 68.3% of all of it's being run over Tor. That's your weather report. Welcome, welcome, welcome to part two of the snooze that you can use. You can start this one off with everybody's favorite Texas senator, Senator Ted Cruz. This one's from Bitcoin Magazine. BTC Casey's writing it. Senator Ted Cruz is bringing Bitcoin to the Capitol with vending machines. Oh yeah, Senator Ted Cruz has proposed a resolution that would request vendors within the Capitol area to work with payment providers that accept Bitcoin. <laughs> The proposal specifically mentions that restaurants, gift shops, and vending machines within Capitol buildings should work with persons accepting cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, which would allow the lawmakers of the United States to purchase their on-the-go snacks with sound money as they please. Uh, no, they're lawmakers of the state of Texas, which is within the United States, but they're not the lawmakers of the United States. Well, wait, actually, no, wait a minute. Shit, within the capital area of Washington, D.C. Oh, okay, that's actually a much bigger deal. For some reason, I was thinking the Texas capital. Got that wrong. Sorry, sorry, Teddy. Yeah, that's my bad. Senator Ted Cruz has been an outspoken advocate for Bitcoin before, saying that, quote, one of the reasons I'm bullish on Bitcoin is because it's decentralized. The left hates Bitcoin because they can't control it. <laughs> I got news for you, buddy. The right hates it too, for the same reason. That's why they're the same team. There's no such thing as red versus blue, folks. Senator Cruz also sees the benefits of Bitcoin mining as a potential boon for Texas, a state which has been at the forefront of the industry since China's Bitcoin mining ban and subsequent hash rate exodus in 2021. It's damn near biblical at this point. While the move for acceptance at vendors may be perceived as inconsequential, if it passes, it could serve as the first primary exposure for capital politicians to using BTC as a daily payment method. 
Bitcoin can be an abstract concept for those who have not seen its usage in a payment setting. So small resolutions like this can possibly shift perspectives for an on-the-fence politician. The resolution will need to pass both the House and the Senate in order to take effect. I don't know what I think about Ted Cruz. Honestly, I think he's kind of a little, he's a little shady. I don't trust any of them, honestly, but Ted, he talks a good game, but his follow through is, eh, I don't know. We're just going to have to see. But he, but I will say this, he's not wrong. I mean, he's not wrong in so far that if, if he can just get this stuff into the hands of the people that they're, you know, that are again, on the fence about whether or not this is a thing, if they could just use it for a few times, then hopefully their humanity will overcome their politician filters and go, shit, I like this. This is really easy. I just like, just a QR code and I don't have to call my bank to make transfers to if I want to spend something and I've got nothing in my wallet, I can do that shit by myself. I don't need hand-holding and I don't need permission. Ah, yeah, see, that's the thing, is that all these assholes up at Washington, D.C. and the federal governments around the world, at the base layer, they still have to use the bathroom and dress in clothes. They want a modicum of privacy for themselves, even if they act like they don't want it for you, and they do, they don't, or they don't, they don't want you to have privacy. But there's always the kernel of humanity that's continuously embedded in even the sickest, most sociopathic bastard that you can meet. Somewhere in there is a human being. If they can just have a rope thrown to them to crawl out of the abyss of filth that they've been subjected to for all of their political lives, then there's a hope in hell for humanity. Now, is Ted going to be the guy to bring it to the masses? I doubt it, but it could be interesting. It'll be fun to watch. We'll have to keep tabs on what Ted's doing. We're going to keep tabs on what the FTX lawyers are doing. These are some high-priced individuals, ladies and gentlemen. And Helen Parts tells us all about it out of Cointelegraph. FTX lawyers to reap millions of dollars from the bankruptcy case, according to a report. According to that report, the controversial law firm Sullivan and Cromwell, I love the name, is on track to reap a fortune from its work on the FTX cryptocurrency exchange bankruptcy case. Sullivan and Cromwell's costs in the FTX case are estimated to reach hundreds of millions of dollars before the firm's bankruptcy investigation is over. Bloomberg Law reported on January the 27th, which is today. As the FTX trial is scheduled for October of 2023, the firm's lawyers now have about eight months to untangle the complicated FTX case, which will cost a lot of time and money. Sullivan and Cromwell has more than 150 people working on the FTX case, including 30 partners with rates exceeding $2,000 per hour. Yes, Sullivan and Cromwell has 30 full-blown partners charging $2,000 an hour to do this work. The report notes that associates are charging 
up to about $1,500 per hour citing a court filing. So for those that you don't know in a law firm, there's the partners, which are the big dogs, and then there's the associates. And those are the guys that are still big dogs, but they're not big enough to be a partner. And they're hoping that they're going to get that partnership, but they're still charging $1,500 an hour. It's fucking ridiculous. Andrew Diedrich from Sullivan and Cromwell, his rates 20 or 2,165 bucks. Alex Cran or Alexa Cransley is charging 1,855 an hour. Krista Jensen. Ah, man, she's a broke-ass bitch. $1,475 an hour. And then we have Julie Pettiford. Oh, poor Julie. She's only raking in $1,395 an hour. In a court declaration, Sullivan and Cromwell said that its proposed fees are in accordance with market rates by other leading law firms and actually represent a discount from the rates used in non-bankruptcy matters. I'm going to pause here to say that that is in fact true. But that doesn't make it any better, does it? Bankruptcy experts have been facing a high demand as the crypto winter of 2022 generated many bankruptcy filings, <laughs> including those by major crypto firms like Genesis, Global Trading, Celsius Network, and of course, the Voyager Digital. According to Jonathan Lipson, a Temple University law professor, lawyers are going to do very well in cases like FTX, quote, just as the professionals have done very well in other big cases. For example, New York-based law firm Wheel Gottschall made about $500 million in fees from the bankruptcy of Lehman Brothers, and that was in 2008. Lipson said that such big expenses can be justified as Sullivan and Cromwell can potentially help investigators recover money from FTX, stating, quote, the important question is never are the lawyers charging a lot, it's, is it worth it? If they can recover a lot of money, then it's probably worth it, end quote. The news comes shortly after FTX bankruptcy judge John T. Dorsey on January the 19th approved Sullivan and Cromwell's retention as FTX's legal team, despite controversy about the firm allegedly having potential conflicts of interest in the case. Oh, yay! The decision came despite concerns related to Sullivan and Cromwell having advised FTX since before it filed for Chapter 11 protection in November of 2022. On January the 9th, United States Senators John Hickenlooper, Thom Tillis, Elizabeth Warren, and Cynthia Lummis called on the judge to approve a motion to appoint an independent examiner into FTX's activities. Sullivan and Cromwell subsequently emphasized that the law firm has never served as a primary outside counsel to any FTX entity and had a limited and largely transactional relationship with FTX and certain affiliates prior to the bankruptcy. The firm did not immediately respond to follow-up questions from Cointelegraph. Of course they don't. Um, yeah. I don't see, I actually, okay, here's what I don't see as a problem. The FTX retaining Sullivan and Cromwell just because they advised him a couple of times before the, the bankruptcy, I actually don't see that as a conflict of interest. It's just an extent, it's just an extenuation of their business relationship. I don't, there's nothing illegal about that. So that's not a problem. And I'll, I'll, I'll give it this, the fact that these guys are charging so much money can be justified if they can get a lot of money. Eh, okay, I'll give it that. But remember who's paying the bill here. No matter 
how much money they get back. You, the, the, this bill's being footed by the people that gave, you know, the, well, the stakeholders, the retail guys, you know, the plumber that lost his ass because, I don't know, what a, somebody, you know, some football star was saying that he should invest his money in FTX or buy their token or whatever it was. That's where the money's coming from. The money's coming out of the coffers of whatever money that gets recovered. Sure, I guess it's justified if they get a you know shit ton of money back. And yes, it's good that they're not charging what they could charge because honestly, and this is the truth, they could be charging three grand an hour. They could be charging 2,500 an hour. And they're not, they're charging two grand an hour. Okay, I'll give them that. But still, this is just, the only people that ever get rich on class action suits and environmental catastrophe lawsuits with the EPA, like a super, super fund. If you don't know what a super fund is, I don't have time to explain it, but it's this massive amount of money that was pulled together so that some huge ecological project like the reclaiming of uh, the lands around Silverton, Colorado, because it was a big, big, big mining uh, operation out there in the 18 and early 1900s. Uh, really screwed up the, the landscape out there and poisoned a whole bunch of shit. Superfund site was set up. And the first thing that happened is that the whole Superfund got, got their ass sued. And the only people that came out on top were the lawyers for both sides. They took the majority of the money of the Superfund and what was left over after everything, after the dust settled, was used to actually do the project that was supposed to be done, but couldn't be done to its logical conclusion because why? The lawyers made off with all the money. Whether you believe in you know ecological uh, projects or not is kind of beside the point. This could be anything. The only people that really benefit from any lawsuit is the lawyers. So how's this going to work out? We'll have to see how much money they get. And if they don't get as much money as they say they get, they're still going to get their $2,000 an hour. I guarantee it. But here's, here's something else. Mount Pelerin Crypto Exchange, which I've never heard of, has added support for Bitcoin Lightning Network. Bitcoin Magazine, and apparently their only remaining staff writer, BTC Casey, is writing it. Mount Perlin, or Pellerin, a Swiss-based cryptocurrency exchange, <clears throat> has announced new support for the Bitcoin Lightning Network on their app. The press release sent to the Bitcoin Magazine described how users can now get Bitcoin directly on the Lightning Network easily by card or bank transfer, spend, receive, and manage their sats with Mount Pellerin's mobile app bridge wallet and cash out funds from Lightning back onto their bank accounts in 14 different currencies. The app and exchange serve 171 countries and six languages globally. Swiss regulation allows for users to buy and sell Bitcoin with no identification required for amounts under 1,000 CHF a day. This preserves privacy in the face of growing threats related to compromised personal information. Quote, Mount Pellerin plans to let advanced users run their own lightning node in Bridge Wallet in the near future, the release explains. That should be fun. In the meantime, the current release takes 
care for the user of all the complex channel and liquidity management features of Lightning. This allows for a much easier user experience and completely free transactions. Not exactly, but I'll let it go. Those already running their own Lightning node and wallet can, of course, use the service to buy and sell SATs on it. Also mentioned is the exploration of a payment solution for merchants, which could greatly grow the merchant end of the Lightning network. The virtually free and instant transactions that Lightning enables are especially useful for merchants and express the power of Bitcoin in tangible ways for users. All right. Have you ever heard of Mount Pelerin? Because I have not heard of Mount Pelerin. I, let me know if you've ever heard of Mount Pelerin. Because depending on if, if nobody knows about this thing, then I don't care. <laughs> it's probably, probably a really crappy attitude to have. Braden Lindria is writing this one for Cointelegraph. United Kingdom's FCA hints at why it's only given 15% of crypto firms the regulatory nod. Despite the plans to turn the region into a bustling crypto hub, the United Kingdom's financial watchdog says it has given the all clear to only 41 out of 300 crypto firm applications seeking regulatory approval to date. The UK Financial Conduct Authority, the FCA, implemented the new cryptocurrency-focused regulations on January the 10th, back in 2020, to supervise businesses operating in the sector and to ensure that they're subject to the same AML, KYC, and CTF regulations as firms in traditional financial markets. CT or F is counter-terrorist financing. Because, you know, we're, we're every human on the planet is apparently a fucking terrorist. You know, that's just the way we're born. We fell out of the trees 100 million years ago. What did we do? Start doing terrorism. A statement from the FCA has revealed that of the 265 applications that were determined, a mere 15% of those applications were approved and registered, while 74% of firms either refused or withdrew their application, and 11% were flat-ass rejected. Another 35 applications are yet to be determined. While the FCA didn't expressly state the cause of the rejected or withdrawn applications, it did provide feedback on good and poor quality applications. Among the more complete applications included detailed descriptions of the firm's business model, the roles and responsibility of business partners and service providers, sources of liquidity, flow of funds charts, and an outline of the policies and systems set in place to manage risk, the report stated. And honestly, all that actually sounds pretty much above board. That sounds like just standard operating procedure for any human engaged in risk. Now, incomplete applications were more apparent where companies use the application to promote their products and services, particularly in cases when the application process was still ongoing. Quote, applicants' websites and marketing materials must not include language that give the impression that making an application for registration is a form of endorsement or recommendation by the FCA. End quote. Yeah, this was going on. The report suggests that some companies may have had their applications scrapped if they couldn't show that they had sufficient blockchain compliance resources set in place to monitor on-chain transactions. The FCA also doubled down on its anti-money laundering stance, demanding that all firms appoint a money laundering reporting officer who is fully involved in the application process. The FCA stressed that even for those firms that had their registrations approved, 
Such approval doesn't mean that they're no longer free from obligations. Quote, applicants must recognize that being registered is not a one-off formality or a tick box exercise without any further obligations or interactions with the FCA, end quote. Further quote, this feedback should help applicants when they prepare their application for registration and help make the process as simple and efficient as possible. Yay. Okay, so turns out that indeed some of these companies were actually advertising the fact that their blockchain is better than Bitcoin because they had registered with the FCA. What they weren't saying is that they had registered an application pending approval at the FCA and that the FCA had nothing at all to do with endorsing them. No, this is a marketing scheme that shitcoiners always use. It's just part of welcome to Bitcoin, I guess. I don't know. But if you didn't know that, yeah, well, there it is. Now, BitPay. BitPay announces a partnership with MoonPay and removes Bitcoin trading fees for a limited time. Well, okay. Oh God, staff writers, BTC Casey's writing this one from Bitcoin Magazine. Honestly, I could just pause there to say this. I'm a little worried about Bitcoin Magazine just because of this. The majority of what's being written over the last few weeks is being written by BTC Casey. There used to be a lot more writers. What the hell's going on over there at Bitcoin Magazine? I don't know because I don't know any of those guys, but I call it out when I see something. You know, see something, say something. Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin, BitPay and MoonPay. Leading Bitcoin and cryptocurrency payment infrastructure providers have partnered to provide BitPay users with significantly increased ways to buy cryptocurrency instantly and at great rates. BitPay's unique marketplace experience also presents multiple rates for buyers, ensuring they receive the best possible price for their cryptocurrency purchases. The press release states and further states additional benefits of the integration include fast delivery to any owned wallet address, as well as the ability for buyers to pay with their preferred method, including credit card, debit card, Apple Pay, Google Pay, or a variety of local bank transfer methods. End quote. The announcement also states that for a limited time, BitPay users will be able to purchase Bitcoin with no fees. Those seeking to access the MoonPay integration can do so at BitPay.com or on the BitPay wallet app. Bill Zilke, CMO of BitPay, said in the press release that BitPay's partnership with MoonPay brings together two leaders of the crypto payment space to give BitPay users near instant access to cryptocurrency. Echoing that statement, Harry Peetson, partner account manager at MoonPay, explained that, quote, This partnership will provide users with a greater variety of ways to buy cryptocurrencies, allowing them to use their preferred buying methods and with much greater speed of delivery than previously, end quote. Okay, well, yeah, again, we'll have to see how it goes. But that, uh, that whole uh, uh, buy Bitcoin with no fees, that's just a marketing pl- ploy. And it's probably limited time. Yeah, you probably got 15 to 30 days to be able to do that. So if you do want to do it, I recommend you do it now before the SEC rejects another spot Bitcoin ETF. Oh, but wait, they did. They've rejected another spot Bitcoin ETF bid by ARK and 21 shares. Andrew Thorvalis has it for Decrypt.co. Another day, 
another refusal by the Securities and Exchange Commission to allow a Bitcoin spot ETF to launch in the United States of America. The latest rejected proposal came from Kathy Wood's ARK Invest and Global Crypto ETF provider, 21Shares, which for a second time joined forces in an attempt to launch the ARK 21Shares Bitcoin ETF. And it was initially filed last year on May the 13th, a month after ARK's first attempt to list the product on BZ, BZX had been turned down. An ETF, we, we know what an ETF, we're not gonna worry about it. The SEC's rationale for the decision is the same as last time. ARK has failed to demonstrate that the rules of its exchange are adequate to protect the investing public from, quote, fraudulent and manipulative acts and practices, end quote. Further quote, an exchange that lists Bitcoin-based ETPs can meet its obligations under Exchange Act Section 6B-5 by demonstrating that the exchange has a comprehensive surveillance sharing agreement. By demonstrating that the exchange has a comprehensive surveillance sharing agreement with a regulated market of significant size related to the underlying or reference Bitcoin assets explained the SEC in its rejection. ETFs would also give institutions a green light to effectively buy Bitcoin when they are otherwise barred from doing so by internal charters. This has made crypto bulls thirsty for such a product to hit the U.S. market, but so far, no dice. By contrast, the SEC willingly permitted multiple future Bitcoin ETFs to launch beginning in October of 2021. The ProShares Bitcoin Strategy ETF, which hit the market first, had one of the most active opening days in New York, uh, sorry, in NYSE, the New York Stock Exchange history. Unlike spot ETFs, futures ETFs are backed by Bitcoin futures products or contracts, otherwise known as a derivative. Uh, Promises to purchase Bitcoin for the set price at a later date. Unlike the Bitcoin spot market, the Bitcoin futures market is a regulated market in which an ETF can have a surveillance sharing agreement such as the CME Bitcoin futures market. In its own filing for a similar product, Grayscale argued that it would enter a surveillance sharing agreement with the same market when launching a Bitcoin spot ETF. The SEC did not recognize CME Bitcoin futures as adequately related to spot Bitcoin. So another one bites the dust. And that's gonna do it for the morning roundup. Let's have ourselves a final joke, even though we already had a joke. Still, dad says jokes. Once upon a time, there was a king who was only 12 inches tall. He was a terrible king, but he made a great ruler. Yeah, baby, that's what I like out of my dad jokes. Just awful, cringe-worthy moments. All right, what have we learned today? Um, We've learned that I'm a little upset that these people that understand that Twitter is on fire, continuously go back to Twitter. It's apparently the most addictive thing on the face of the planet. And what makes that addictive? It's become very clear to me that when people said the algorithms are addictive and I didn't listen to them before, we're 100% correct. Because here's the thing, I'll look at Noster for a little while, you know, in the morning, 
gather some news, see what's going on with Nostra itself. And then I feel no, you know, and the only other time is, you know, toilet time. But other than that, throughout the day, eh, I'm not compelled. Whereas when I was on Twitter, um, that shit's fucking addictive. Why the difference? Is it because Nostra doesn't have as many people on it? I don't think so. Because I'm still getting just as many notifications as I would normally get uh, on my Bitcoin list because I never looked at my global feed on Twitter because it was just filled with crap, right? And yesterday it was filled with dick pics and you know fun facts and all kinds of manner of spam. But be that as it may, I'm still getting, you know, like all the people that have been booted off of Twitter, all the old Bitcoiners that you that you don't know that you don't see anymore. You don't know that you don't see them because you don't see them. I mean, I wonder how many people actually remember that I was there. You guys remember because I tell you about it. But there was a lot of people that I interacted with that I was never able to see again. You know, people that I included as friends, like Fartface 2K, FF2K right? For old fart face. I met that motherfucker in person at Bitblock Boom. And it was one of the greatest moments of my life because I'm like, he was the first guy that I met that I, that I realized we knew each other from Twitter. And it was, it was a great moment. I was like, wow, I kind of already know this dude. And it was the first time I saw him in person. And we were tell, telling this other guy about how Lightning Network worked. And we were sending each other Satoshis back in the day. This was 20, 2020, one, I think, I think, or either that, or it was like, I mean, I know we were in the, in the grips of COVID. So it had to be the summer of 2021. Cause everybody was, everybody at the hotel was freaking out that none of the Bitcoiners wanted to wear masks. Oh, that was fun. <laughs> Poor Gary Leland. He caught so much shit from, from Hilton management for that. Uh, but Gary Leland probably doesn't remember who I am because I'm not on Twitter. And I haven't seen Gary Leland on Noster and he won't. And I, I guarantee you, I won't see him on Noster, but there are so many old Bitcoiners that I'm finally getting back in touch with because they are either getting off of Twitter of, of their own accord, or they too are being deleted from the platform. You're next. See, don't you get this? It's only a matter of time. You're next may not be today. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next week. Shit, you might even be on there for another five years if Twitter is even around at that point. What it's turning into, I, I don't recognize it at all at this moment as the platform I was using just back in October. Last October looks nothing like it. And all these people coming over to Noster, you know, and I get to say, oh shit, I haven't seen this person in months. You know, I haven't seen this person in months. It's like, it's almost like a fam like a class reunion. If you, if you have not, you know, done the Noster thing yet, I'm begging you. If you want to claim your namespace, now is the time. The earlier that you can claim your namespace in a new platform, protocol, technology, the better you're gonna get way more action than latecomers, all right? Now, here's, here's how I know. It took me a year from the time that at BENND77 was booted off of Twitter right after Christmas of 2021, or 20, uh, was it 2020? 
No, 2021, right after Christmas of 2021, I got deleted from Twitter. Actually, it was on New Year's Day of 2022. Almost to a year later, I got Ghost of Nunya booted off of Twitter just because they figured out that I was the same guy. I didn't even post anything even remotely, you know, mean or anything like that. Uh, they just figured out that that I was the same dude and they said, you're trying to avoid uh, suspension. And they suspended Ghost of Nunya. It took a year for me to gather up I think I ended at 1,400 followers in a year. And that was after I had told everybody I could figure out how, you know, to help me get my followers back. Um, I only got a thousand, you know, like 1,400. Maybe it was only 12. I can't remember, but it wasn't much. And it certainly wasn't the 7,500 followers that I did have on my original account that had been alive since 2011. I've been on Noster since December. I just passed, I think I just passed almost 900 followers. Now, I'm not looking at followers as a badge of honor. I'm looking at followers as like, these are the people that I'm interacting with. You know, and and, and, and my, my follow count is like 430 people that I'm following. Because I have to follow more people on Noster because I can't just put people on a Bitcoin list like I did in Twitter and not follow them. Like I'd like, you know, I had Roger Ver on the, on my Bitcoin Twitter list so I could see what kind of, you know, nonsense he was about to spout, but I was sure as shit wasn't going to give him a follow for it. I was just harvesting his data. Same thing with, you know, Craig Wright. I wouldn't follow him, but he was on my Bitcoin list so that I could keep tabs on what insanity he was about to explode with. But Nostra's different. Right now, I got to follow your ass if I want to hear from you. And, and I don't want to get into global feed to avoid all, you know, the field of dick pics. Just saying. But I've already got almost nine. Actually, let's see if I can pull it up. Let's see what, a, let's see what Dama says, uh, says that I'm at. Let's see if I can get this out. Eh, come on. Come on. You can do it. You can do it. Oh, yeah. Okay, here we go. All right. Profile. I am following 443 accounts and my followers, 900. It just flipped over to nine, uh, nope, 901 followers. That's in a month because I got on, uh, let's see, no, I'd say about, you know, let's say about five weeks. That's how fast it's going. Get your namespace on Noster now. When I mean namespace, what I mean is get your name out there. Start shaking hands digitally. Let people know that you're alive. That's your namespace. That's what namespace means. It doesn't mean go to a website like namespace.com and claim some namespace. No, everybody does this. I'm claiming my namespace in podcasting with the Bitcoin and podcast. I need to claim, I claimed my namespace in Twitter back in 2011 with Nunya Bidness. Right, I'm reclaiming that same namespace on Noster. I claimed my namespace on Mastodon in the Fediverse, right? With none your business. You've got, you've got to do it now because if you wait till later, it's going to be harder for you to gather up, you know, gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Yeah, now's the time, bitches. So please, not only am I begging you to come hang out with me on Noster because I miss all of you guys. If you're still Twitter only, I don't see anything that you do. 
I, I have no access to your ideas, your jokes, nothing. I don't get anything. I can't even go back into my old accounts and see who I was following because they erase all that shit. I can see some some of my old twi- uh, tweets, but I can't see like like my whole the whole uh, I had a whole thread of uh, regenerative agriculture resources books. That thread, the only thing that remains of that thread is the very first tweet and anybody who replied to it. All the rest of the tweets that came after that thread, they're all gone. I even looked for them individually because I have copies of all the uh, content that I put into those tweets. I looked at it through advanced Twitter search. They're just gone. I can't even get that shit back. I don't know who I was following. I mean, I know some, but I don't know all. See, this is why I'm a little irritated with people like, I'm just going to say it. I love Marty Bent, but he needs to spend a hell of a lot more time claiming namespace on Noster than on Twitter. Matt O'Dell does a pretty good job at it. I'd like to see more of his stuff. You know, Fartface came around. Uh, Igor, uh, Yegor Petrov, or is it Petrov Yegor or Yegor Petrov? I can't. Remember Dergigi? He's on there. He's he's claiming his namespace. The only way I was ever going to see Dergigi ever again is that he popped into Noster. And I immediately saw him. I immediately said, hey, thank God you're here. And then he immediately remembered me and followed me. And that's the power of the PFP. Your profile picture. Don't be fooled, okay? For those of you guys that don't think anything about fabricating a really good profile picture, whether it be a headshot of you in reality or, you know, like an, a caricature of, of you in reality or like me, the you know, I stole Kenny from South Park and now I can't get away from it. And one of these days they're going to do a cease and desist on me if I ever get any any remotely successful and they'll pro- South Park will probably cease and desist my ass even with the Charlie Brown face in it but be that as it may people see that and they go I remember that I remember that that was somebody that I either used to follow or I used to always see posting right. don't let that part slip out of the future branding even if you're not running a business Branding is critical for the digital age because social media is not going away. It's just going to change. And it is changing. And if you're not part of that change, you might find yourself on a rusty ass bucket taken on water while it's on fire. And I don't want to see that happen. I want to see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.